Welcome and thank you for joining us. At Worship Harvest, we believe that we are a movement of the gospel, discipleship and mission. And we are committed to catalyzing spiritual, social and economic renewal in our immediate communities and as a result, the world. Here is this week's teaching. In 1996, he set up International Medical Center, which has since grown to the organization International Medical Group, IMG, the largest private healthcare organization in Uganda, encompassing a 100-bed hospital, IHK, IAA Medical Insurance Company, IMF, a non-profit foundation, and IMCs, a network of 22 primary care clinics. He has authored three books. The Man with the Key Has Gone, How Deep Is This Pothole, and Smart Culture Guide to Uganda. He writes a weekly social commentary column for the New Vision newspaper, one of two main national newspapers in Uganda. When he is not involved in politics, medicine, or any other business, he is passionate about farming. Did we mention on his 60th birthday, he rafted the entire Nile River. Please welcome to the gathering, Dr. Ian Clark. Well, wow, what can one say? I just come back from Nairobi. I just got in from the airport this morning. And as I, as, I, as, I, uh, as I came into this place, and I can't see you because the light is shining in my eyes now, but as I walked through this morning, I thought, what beautiful people. <laughs> Isn't it? A, I mean, it, Ugandans, Uganda, it is a beautiful country, and it has beautiful people. And I think you're all beautiful people here this morning. You're really well turned out. The ladies are well turned out. The guys, yeah. Guys look okay, 50-50. Anyway, look, now that, now that you had the presentation, I don't need to say anything. I can go. Um, you need to remind me how long I've got. Moses, how long have I got? Oh, right. Yeah, well, that's okay. I'll try and watch it here as well. Robbie said, my wife says that, uh, you know, one of the things I like doing best is talking about myself. But, uh, it's like a lot of us. No, um, I, I think what I want to do this morning, uh, I, I put down a few points of kind of principles, and I said a few things I've learned over the years. Um, ju- just some of the, not, I wouldn't call them the rules, but some of the things that guide me as far as my life is concerned. Uh, and uh, so I don't want to take you all through, you know, I, I've had a long life so far. I hope it keeps going as well for a while longer. Um, and, I've, and I've been able to do many things. Um, but there are certain, certain, I just call them things that I come back to from time to time that I remind myself of. Uh, and so I thought maybe it would be helpful to go through some of these. They, they're a bit random um, in the sense that... Uh, Sometimes I'm better if, if I don't do a very, very prepared talk, uh, and then I'm, I'm, I'm able to build on it. So I'll start with what I call attitude. Your attitude to people, your attitude to life. Um, and, uh, you know, being a white, a white guy in, in, in an African country, uh, it's interesting because I see the white side, I see the black side. 
I see the Irish side, I see the Ugandan side. Uh, and I see the good points in Uganda, I see the bad points in Uganda. Uh, and one of the things I've realized about Uganda and Ugandans, and, and maybe it's just the world in general, if you're inclusive, if you include people, they'll include you. You know how it's often, I'll say it as a white person, uh, we come, we've got our values and so on, and then we're looking at you and judging you and then saying, do you fit? And then if we give you a tick, then we'll be nice to you. Uh, and, and I think that this sense, this spirit where you have some inclusiveness, like what you have in this church, I'm sure, you welcome people in, you're inclusive to people. Uh, and I think it's very important because people sense, are you, are you, are you a person who's judging me? Or are you a person who's inclusive? Um, if you're open to people, they'll be open to you. Um, and don't forget to smile. I often forget to smile. I often look very serious and intense. But I have to remind myself to smile because when you smile, people will smile back. Now, Emma, Dr. Emma here works at International Hospital. And it's a, quite a big organization. But the first person that people run into is the front desk, they call them administrative assistants. It's a very difficult job, actually, because they've got to find the doctor, find where they send them to, and so on. I always tell those girls, it's mostly girls, actually. Uh, there's some boys. Uh, I tell them, smile. Because if you smile, mostly people will smile back at you. And uh, you'll find that it will break the ice and so on. Uh, and it's quite, it's quite a stressful job, that sometimes, because people are quite highly emotional, someone's sick and so on. So... But there's a risk in it, because if you're open to someone, and you smile at them, and then the person just looks at you, you know, you're going to be... So they don't always smile back. But, but, I'm, but I'm thinking, this, this thing of, of, of being open to people, for, for me, is quite important. Everyone's an individual who sees as I go through a place, a, a great value on us as people, as human beings, whatever our color, whatever our create whatever our class, you know, whoever, it doesn't matter who we are, we're a person. And, and we, we, we need to understand that this, this I see as a, this is probably what I would call a fairly middle class church. You all look quite nice and well healed and so on. Great initiative. Uh, Moses was telling me he was an architect, which I think is, is great because he has that experience. He was not a professional pastor. Um, uh, <laughs> No, I'm not, not dissing professional pastors, but I really think some experience of life and the world out there goes a long way. In the midst of this, <clears throat> when we are, when we, this is Uganda after all, we see so much stuff that goes around. We've, we, these murders, the murder of this young lady recently and other people just seem to be randomly killed. And... Uh, <clears throat> It's quite easy for people to retreat and say, let me just get home, close my door, lock up, do my work, and I'm, not going, to, I'm going to try and retreat. I was, uh, last weekend, I'll not say who they were, but I was, a, I was with, with some, uh, a family that's super rich in Uganda. They've done a big industrialist. They've done a lot of good work. But they literally said, you know what? We live in a bubble. We fly in from Entebbe to the estate. Some of them don't go out of the estate. Um, and, and they realize that. Because what has happened is, it's, it's, it's the, when you stop engaging in the rough and tumble of life, 
When you stop engaging with ordinary people, you start to protect yourself uh, and you put the barriers up, really. So churches are one way in which we engage, by the way. They're great. I think churches which bring people together as a community challenge you as you're doing today with the uh, transform, for, transformational uh, leaders uh, conference. Um, th these are great, but also don't get too insular inside your church as well. You're still there, you know, in society, in community. You still have to engage with the rough and tumble of life. And, you know, you get people as well. If you just take the traffic in Kampala, <laughs> you know, you find people, uh, there's an old white guy I know, and he just can't, he has a driver and all, but he just can't manage the chaos any longer. He's sort of retreated. So let's not, not, let's not retreat. Let's be part of the society in which we are. Now, attitude. One of the things to do is what I would say, Never get up yourself. I mean, you, you, thank you very much for the lovely introduction and stuff, you know. Um, if I begin to get proud, I think, like, I'm pretty good. You know, I'm, I'm, we have a saying, uh, uh, I'm quite a big deal. You have that saying, don't you? Yeah. You know, you have T-shirts for, I think, I think my, my children bought me a T-shirt, you know. I'm, what is it? It's something about being a big deal. But the... I think this is one of the things I want to say. No matter how much you think you've achieved, no matter how proud you are of your academic qualifications, what you've built or whatever, don't, don't, don't become arrogant. I, I see a lot of arrogance, you know, and I usually see it in people who are covering up. So they become arrogant uh, because they don't really want you to know, they don't want to expose themselves. Uh, as to who they really, really are. Said someone, being arrogant doesn't make you a big person, it makes you a small prick. Maybe I'm not supposed to say that in church, but. <laughs> but then I, then I said also, don't, don't let your ego get out of control, and your wife is probably the best one, or your partner is probably the best one to prick your ego and deflate you, because she knows who, what, you are, what you are. But no, but no matter how wonderful you've done, what a wonderful job you've done or whatever, but, but stay grounded. Stay grounded. Be humble. I'm, I don't go around saying, you know, um, you know, I haven't written the book, you know, Humility and Me and How I Achieved It. You know that book? <laughs> uh, but just remind yourself, you know, that there but for the grace of God go I in many circumstances. Now, what I, this is what I'll call values and ju judgment. Um, I'm always preaching values. Now, the values, I know they're part of what your belief system is here. Uh, we sometimes call them moral values, but I'm just taking the broad sense. But in fact, these values would be preached, would be in churches, would be in mosques, would be in many different groupings as such. But we really do, you know, I'm not going to come and say, okay, you know, it was by hard work, I achieved everything I did, but there's no way around hard work. You know, when you get people, I, I sometimes have young people who come to interview, and I, and I uh, in fact, all the time, we have people, young people who come to interview for jobs. What's sad to see is that people are so desperate to get jobs, but once they get into that job, 
they become mummified. You know, and they, you know, they, they then become more interested in social media and so on than actually, you know, really, really contributing to the organization. And it's a combination of poor education, in, which, in a way in which people have been brought up to be passive and to be told what to do, where they haven't learned to be proactive and be problem solvers, and uh, just they don't have the work ethos that somebody... Maybe it was a failure of their parents. You know, there's a lot of mothers here. There's a lot of single-parent families. Not because there's not a father, but the father's absent. And it's, it's, it's very common. But <clears throat> a few of the people I know who had fathers who really taught them values, taught them honesty, taught them hard work, uh, taught them there was no shortcuts, um, those kids, those young people have actually done well. Often it's the mothers who end up doing it. And I'm not, you know, a mother has tremendous responsibility. But, but I see, uh, through my 30 years of being in Uganda, how it makes such a difference in terms of the values that a kid is brought up with. If a kid is brought up to have a sense of entitlement, if a kid is brought up with no values whatsoever, so he takes his role, he takes his role model as the local taxi driver or the local Boda Boda guy, you know, that's what he'll become. And unfortunately, many kids in Uganda are brought up like wildflowers. They're just, someone scatters the seed. A child is produced. And then we have, you know, 1.2 million babies. I wrote a column the last, a few weeks ago, uh, on that uh, social media picture that went around in uh, <clears throat> one of the government hospitals in Kampala, which showed about 100 babies. But it, it was a day's production, people. That was just the production of the day. <laughs> and I'm not blaming you for this. You're just the mechanic. <laughs> but, but, you know, all these, all these little mites, all these little people are going to become young people and adults at some point in time. Who's directing them? Who's going to make them responsible citizens? And if we can't cope, I mean, I'm always going on about this as a doctor. If we can't cope with this number of children, then let's not have all these children. They don't bring themselves up. They need values. They need to be taught. And it's the parents that do it and the schools that do it and so on. But hard work, honesty, integrity, timekeeping. Timekeeping. Obviously, this church is quite good at timekeeping because people kept calling me and said, are you nearly here? <laughs> um, Timekeeping, I think, I mean, in, sometimes in Uganda, it's ridiculous. You know, you have the Mzungu time, and then you have the other time, the Ugandan time. So if you go to a wedding, you know you go on the other time. You never go on time to a wedding because you're going to sit there for two hours. But then you have to judge if it's a business meeting, do you go on Mzungu time? <laughs> We've got doctors. <laughs> We've got doctors here. I think one doctor, I'll not name, and it's not Emma, by the way. One doctor... <laughs> One doctor who is a lovely, lovely person, but somewhere in his genes, he never got the idea that there was time. <laughs> so I remember once, because our poor administrative assistant's there sending the person to the clinic, and the person's sitting there, and then an hour later, they're coming back and saying, where's the doctor? So this happened, and of course, the administrators called him up and said, uh, doctor, you have some patients waiting for you. This was at IHK, and he went, oh, um, and she said, um, 
where are you? Are you, are you near? Like the guy's calling me today. And he said, uh, I'm an Umbrara. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes that's, you know, so these things, they, they make a difference. Let's, let's face it, by the way, the world is moving on. The world does do timekeeping. Um, and globally. And we can't just say, because this is Uganda, then that's okay. So we do need to make these changes if we're going to move on uh, in terms of where the world is at. Value all human beings. Now, this is a big issue today because of Trump particularly, but it's spread to these nationalist kind of right-wing governments and so on, who are dividing people into categories. So you're a black American, so somehow you're, you're less than some white guy. You know, you're Hispanic, so does that make you less? You know, you're a, you're, you're a, you're a, you're a, a guy who, who drives a, a truck. Is that less than you're a doctor? We're, we're all human beings. It, it really annoys me, and, and I, I must say that from my point of view, I can meet big people. You know, I can meet, I'm, I'm quite well known in this area. And so I can meet from the president to, you know, to whoever. Uh, and then I can meet the guys, the ladies who sweep the streets. And when I go out running in the mornings, you know, sometimes, I actually run quite early, but sometimes if they're out, you know, I'll say, way belly, mama. And, you know, that person sweeping the streets is, is equal value than some of the people, factions of more value, and some of the people who we just laud it over. And one thing in Uganda, please, let's stop this. This whole thing of position. You know, you have to go to a funeral. When you go to a funeral, when you go to a, an event, and then you have to say, oh, the honorable so-and-so is here, and please stand up for recognition, and so on and so forth. <laughs> really? What is that about? And even look... And also the other thing is we often strive for positions. That's why there's so much politics in this country. You get into politics, then you can get a position, get a title, and then if you're a failed politician, you'll then be put in charge of some government organization once you get kicked out. They, but it's, you see, what did you do to deserve that? You know, let's, let's be people who we know ourselves. We can take satisfaction in what we've done because we were true to ourselves and we deserve it not just because we saw it for position. <clears throat> and the other thing is that to be interested in people. Now, as I said, my wife says I like talking about myself, but have you ever watched yourself in a conversation? You know, there's two or three people there. I had this, this same situation uh, at the weekend. And so this guy came into the room, and then he started talking all about himself, all about his own issues and so on. And then about... 30 minutes later, he said, so what do you do? <laughs> now, I, I was just, because that's not uncommon. And, and it's, I think in Uganda, it's not too bad. People, we are interested in, in people. But I've been in plenty of situations where someone doesn't even, you know, they're just not interested. They're in their world, and they're just not interested about your world. Now, now it's not that I say I want attention, but let's not be like that. Let's be people who can be interested in people. Look, you're probably looking to me, you know, how did I make it in business and stuff. I'm telling you some very, you know, ordinary mundane things. But I think these things are important. Because they make you who you are. And, and we don't make it 
from some of the practices that we see around us all the time. Um, <clears throat> okay, so here's, here's one which I sort of started off with. Try not to prejudge. It, it can show. Oh, here, did I? Did somebody change in these for me? I was supposed to use this clicker. Sorry. Where am I? Somebody's doing it for me. You see, I always can get somebody to do things for me. <laughs> Thanks. Um, try not to prejudge. As I said earlier, if you're making an assessment on everybody who walks in and then you're deciding, is this person, you know, can I relate to this person? Is he my type of person? You know, it, it, it'll show. And, 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 and so people will back off. And so I would say, and I, as I said here, you'll become white. The reason I said that is because whites are much more prone to doing that than Africans. And I think certain communities are more prone. Irish people tend to be more inclusive, tend to be more, English people are more reserved. Um, so don't be too white, okay? <laughs> and, and just honestly, try not to judge people at all. I do like this, this thing in, 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 in Africa. It's, it's kind of a two-edged sword, but I find people are, are, are a lot less judgmental in this society, maybe because we see so many things. Okay, <clears throat> now, about people. You may notice a thread through this that I, I really feel our lives are about people. It's not about buildings, it's not about how many letters you've got after your name, it's actually about people. Why? If you're not connecting, and I mean connecting really meaningfully, then how do you even know you're exi you exist existentially? People are the people are the affirmation of us. Um, and I don't know how to, I don't want to get into a big philosophical discussion on that, but, but connecting, and when I say connecting, I don't mean, I can't connect with everybody in this room. I can have acquaintances, I, I, can, I can, you know, uh, we can interact in, in this kind of way, but, but, but connecting, really connecting. You know, if you have a, a friend, whom you connect with. One of my best uh, male friends is Bishop Zach Naringi. You've heard of Bishop, haven't you? You've all heard of Bishop Zach, controversial bishop. But, but Bishop Zach and I are really good friends because we connect. We connect at many levels. We connect at political levels, at social justice levels, theological levels, philosophical levels, and just our sense of humor as well. So I'm very... I'm very glad to have a friend like that. But there's many, you know, if you don't connect with your wife, if you're married, okay, you're in trouble, okay. You may get some counseling or something. Um, but I think it's important that, that relationships and connecting with people are so important. Um, as I said, you can take satisfaction in what you've achieved, but it's still all about people. So respect people and love people and sometimes allow them to reciprocate and respect and love you. Now, it's not that you go around and say, please, please love me. Please love me. I need love. Please respect me. But, but someone the other day, you know, someone who I'd known, not very, very well, but I was, I was getting to know the person better. And she said something to me that, that I hadn't, you know, she said something that was complimentary to me. That I, that I really hadn't thought of. 
And I thought, you know what? That's really nice. You know, she respected me. And um, maybe, maybe sometimes you just have to, you know, be interested and people reach out to them and so on. And they can, they can also give you some feedback that is, that is good for you. You know that's really positive. And don't be a user. Uh, <laughs> you know the user? The user is the person who only calls you up when he needs you, or she only calls you up when she needs you. You know, we've all got friends like that. Oh, Paula, I haven't heard from you for the last five years. Nice to hear from you. I see, and nice to hear from you too. I was wondering if you could. Okay. And that's the least, you know, there are people who just, you know, then there's the other type of person who's trying to, 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 to sort of suck it out of you. Um, to, uh, the person who's sort of, you know, they, they're always needy, okay? They're always the, that person who, and, and while, you know, as a church, you help the needy, I know, but, but don't be a needy person. Try not to be a needy person because, again, you'll find you'll drive people away. Are we together? Yeah. We're here. Okay, good. Um, now, so I'm not a preacher, so it's nothing about inquiry and faith, but I put those two together because we should never stop inquiring. We should never stop seeking. One of the things that is, that is uh, sometimes it's a bit annoying, where, where Ugandan guys get together, and what can they talk about? Football? Politics? And, and if they get drunk, woman, okay? The total sum of their conversation. Now look, and it's, you know, this is how men were, well, we were fellowshipping and so on and so forth. Yeah, but wait a minute, is there not something more to life? Is there not, do we not want to understand things? I mean, I'm, I'm here, you know, I'm in my 60s. And since I've been, I remember when I was like 14 years old, sitting in, in grammar school and having these deep and profound conversations about the meaning of life. Still trying to figure it out. But, but to be a seeker, you know, my, Robbie, uh, uh, my wife says, it's better to travel, so this, this is, it's a well-known saying, better to travel hopefully than to arrive. Sometimes in our journey, we may feel we've never arrived. But, but you know, and that's why I like Zach, because we're seekers, we're fellow seekers, we're fellow, we're fellow travelers. And if you seek truth, it, let me tell you something. It may not bring you all to the same interpretation or understanding of truth. You may not all agree with, you know, that this is, this is it. And, 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 and you need to, and I say this walking on thin ice here, but we need to have, in churches in particular, we need to make sure we don't just become dogmatic. Have the dogma, okay? This is what we believe. It's up there, you know? This is how we act. It's there. And then we're just part of a, I don't know, a particular, I wouldn't call it a sect, but, but, but when we should, we should be always seeking truth, and we should be allowing people to find their way. Because some, truth, God, faith, meaning, these are all things that are important. And 
some, my interpretation of faith might be different than yours. My interpretation of God and my relationship with God might be different. But one thing that I think we need, I feel like I'm preaching here. <laughs> I think we need to have meaningful lives. I think we, we need to be whatever we're doing and whatever we're seeking that we're looking for meaning. Now, going on to some of the more sort of business stuff, risk-taking. There was a guy who came to interview me. He was writing a book about risk. And risk, of course, on an, on an academic level is actually quite dry. Uh, and so he was an academician, and he came and he said, he knew me. He was from London. And he said, uh, I, I want to hear, you know, do you describe yourself as a risk taker? I said, no. And I mean, then he, when he wrote his book, he was like, no. But Ian is the ultimate risk taker. But the reason I said no is because I take measured risks. There's a young guy, I did that, the, 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 the um, rafting down the Nile. I was asked to go on that. I didn't do the whole, it was the first expedition that went from source to sea. But I did the bit in the middle, really from Murchison Falls through Fuller Rapids into Juba, South Sudan, and then on through the Sud, and then I came off at Malakal, and they went on down into Egypt and so on. I did the dangerous bit. Uh, well, when I say dangerous, it was, there weren't any doctors there. That's why I was there. Um, <laughs> the young guy, Hendrik, who led that expedition was a risk taker. He loved the adrenaline. And I felt he took unnecessary risks and we had some big ding-dongs on that. You know, a few years later, he was taken down by a crocodile He's dead and he was killed. He was pulled out of his, his um, raft, uh, I think on the Congo River or whatever. Now, to me, Henry was the epitome of the thrill-seeker, risk-taker. But there are others, we can be like that. And I don't, I don't advocate taking stupid risks. I wouldn't go into a very dangerous, war-torn situation, you know, even if I could do good, because if I'm dead, I can't do any good. And, and I think we just have to be uh, sensible about that. So, yes, you want takes risks, but not without calculation, not without measurement and so on. So, I would say entrepreneurs are risk-taking, but uh, this is another point. Risk is by definition risky. So, you start a business, you're taking a risk, okay? The risk is that it will succeed or fail. And, and of course, you know, many, many entrepreneurial businesses fail uh, because probably there, there can be many factors in it which I can't go into. So when you take risks with your money, with your time, with the direction of your life, and so on, then please measure it, do the calculations, and then judge if you've got a fair, and take advice. Take advice from other people. Sometimes people's advice is so unwelcome, you know, because you're like, I know this will work. This is great. This has been the best. This is the best. I've, I, definitely going to work. You know that, what that is? That's simply a bias. We, if you read, there's a book on biases. It's really very good. 
we have certain inbuilt biases, and one of them is that we think we will succeed when we've actually got a chance that we'll fail. And certain, there are, there are those who are adverse to risks, so they never get there. They're not entrepreneurs. But the entrepreneurial spirit definitely always goes in thinking I'll succeed, which is good, but you need to get the balance of that when someone says, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? What about this? And so on. So please, both in life, in risky, dangerous situations, and in business, it should be calculated. And then the other thing is, people say, oh, you're successful. Well, if I look at myself, I've done plenty of stuff. Uh, some of it has been successful, and some of it has been a failure. My, my initial um, business, I, I am entrepreneurial. When I was in Belfast, I qualified as a doctor. I started to do surgery, and then I realized I couldn't actually support my family and do the, the, the whole surgery bit and, and so on, so I had to drop out of surgery. So I did family practice, and I, had, I got a job, uh, and I was working uh, as, a, as a general practitioner. Uh, you, you call them medical, but it's, 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 it's the gatekeeper. In, in, in Uganda, you have the, or not Uganda, in Britain, you have the system, and I was in Northern Ireland which is part of the UK. Um, and um, <clears throat> so I was this uh, general practice doctor for eight years. Um, I was trying, to, why, why was I telling you that? <laughs> Anybody help me? Um, oh yes, I was talking about successes and failures. And, I, and because I was a bit bored with what I was doing, I started a business. And the business got quite big. I had like and it was a retail business, so it was kind of a mixture. It was because here I was being a doctor on the one hand, and then being a retailer, and I had about eight different retail outlets, and, and then they they failed. Well, they started to fail, and and if they had failed, the consequences for me were terrible because I was going to be bankrupt, and so I worked worked day and night, day and night, day and night to, as they say, retrench and restructure and so on and so forth, and. And, and the business didn't fail, but in my terms, it didn't make any money either. I, I spent sort of seven or eight years of my life doing this thing, which, which you know, in the end really didn't work out. My brother bought it, although it, it's interesting about life because that, it was that failure, that it, that's what brought me to Uganda. Because here I was, I was in my church. It was a church not very different from this, actually. And... I believed that Christians should work out their faith, um, and I was, I was in this context where I was working and working and working and working, but I knew I was no different from the next middle-class person beside me, because I was only working to survive. And of course, many of us can, can relate to that. And so when I sold that business, I then came out to Uganda, because that's when the AIDS epidemic, I first came to Uganda in 1987. So when most of you weren't alive, and uh, <laughs> apart from Moses, you were a small boy then. Um, and in 87, I can tell you guys, it was, the, it was just after Museveni, he came in 86. So there was hope. There was a tremendous sense of hope. But the AIDS epidemic was something else, and along with the TB. And we went to work out in the Loero <coughs> Triangle uh, just to do primary uh, health care. And, and the reason I had come was I was sitting in my office in, outside Belfast one day. I had 
This business had been giving me trouble and put a lot of work into that, but I was still working as a doctor. But my work as a doctor was quite routine. Checking blood pressures, you did home visits. It was almost more social. And I said, and I said to myself, I heard about HIV, and I said to myself, my God, people are just dying out there. Because one of the first places where it was highlighted was in Uganda. People are just dying. Their immune system is just gone, and they're just dying. And, uh, you know, it, it just hit me as a doctor. <clears throat> so I thought, let me go. So I went out and somehow ended out in the middle of what was then the Loero Triangle, where all they had all the skulls and bones then because there was a genocide. A book I'll recommend is William Pike's book that's just been published. He used to be the editor of the New Vision. It's called Comrades. And it's a very, a very interesting book because it highlights that time and what it was like. He went there in 83. So I went there, here was the skulls, the bones, and we worked out there for about six years altogether. And, it, and I'm telling you, we lost so many friends from HIV. Not only patients, but staff, friends, and TB, TB was rife then as well. So that's, you know, so from a, from a point of failure in business, which, 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 which drove me to re-examine where I was going, because a lot of stuff that you do, it comes out of, it comes out of, of not, if you're satisfied with your life, you're satisfied with your life. But if you, if, you, if, you, if you feel like there's something more, is this it? And that's, the, that's what I was feeling like at that time, and that's why I came to Uganda. I've got like four minutes and four seconds left. Um, so, so, the, so you're the sum of your failures and your successes. And, and don't think that you'll go through life and everything will be a success. It won't. I am still having failures. I'll not tell you what they are, but, you know. <laughs> I'm still, I mean in the business sense. I'm having businesses that are like, it's 50-50. Um, uh, and uh, I'm, still in, I'm still incubating businesses. Um, <clears throat> so, your final success is the sum of your successes and failures. Now, in business as well, or in life, even if an idea seems far-fetched, but you feel it's right, and you take some advice, you listen to other people and so on, but you still have that conviction that it's right. Where's Olga? Mad Olga. Olga, stand up. Yeah, everybody knows you. Come on. So this young lady decided she'd go into politics. Completely mad idea, wasn't it? But she believed that was the right thing to do in terms of social activism, and she did very well, actually. I think you came in second, didn't you? Yeah. Um, and it was the same for me when I stood for mayor. When I stood for mayor, it was because I was so fed up with the dirt, the filth, the potholes, the traffic all around my area, which is uh, East, East McKinney. And so I said to somebody, who's responsible for this? And they said, oh, they have an LC3 chairperson. I said, okay, and who is it? It was Moses Kalinji at that stage. And I said, well, he's doing such a bad job. I'm sure I could do it better, you know. It can't be brain, it's not brain surgery, brain, you know, to, to fix potholes. You think it was. So, so that's honestly, that's honestly why I went into politics. And then when I got there, because uh, I thought LC3 chairman, that's below the radar, you know. 
Who knows about L3C3? And then discovered you had all these elections and campaigns, and God, and then they made it mayor. I was like, oh, dear. But anyway, I did. But, but so I, I said to my family, yeah, so what do you think? Should I do this? And they said, no, absolutely not. <laughs> and I thought about it, and I wasn't, you know, they, uh, you know, we had discussions about it. But I thought about it, and, and I thought, you know what? I shouldn't stop doing this or not do it if I'm just afraid, and especially if I'm just afraid of failure. Because other people said to me, yep. Actually, Bishop Zach said to me, yeah, you can do it. You'll fail, but you can do it. I thought, well, look. <laughs> I thought, if that is the only reason not to do it, it's not the right reason. You know, you, you must try. And by the way, after that, I thought, well, I've done a good service here, and I stood for Parliament, and I failed. And it's not a good, it's not a good feeling to fail. I didn't like failing. But like I can tell you now, it was one of those blessings in disguise because uh, I would have been put in a very difficult position vis-a-vis -vis term limits and all of those sort of things. <laughs> Age limits and many changes of the Constitution, which I would have firmly stood against. So sometimes when something does seem far-fetched, if you do feel that, you know, then given the other things that I've said, then I, I think you should do it. Um, so, um, oh yeah, and this is another point. Talk isn't action. Now, this is very important for business, and it, it, it's, it's also, it's, it's ridiculous in the government sector. I just came back from this conference on the East Africa Healthcare Federation. So we had some government people, and we had some private sector people there. It was quite a big conference. And we were talking about why the health sector is still, you know, it's some improvements, but still a long way to go. And you know what it comes down to? It comes down to we can talk, we can plan, we can do all this stuff, but when it comes to action, we don't do it. We, we sort of expect it to help itself. I'll tell you from my experience in government as, a, as the mayor, if you want to get something done, you need to get out there and get your hands dirty and really do it. I mean, I was there directing traffic when we were fixing potholes. I was shouting at the guys. You know, I was, I was, you know, I was pushing. And if we don't have that passion and that push, boop, everything just stops. And so talking about it, you know, in government circles, they think if they've talked, that's it. And, and there's this disconnect, incredible disconnect between the politics and what they call those technical people. So the politicians don't do anything. They don't push. And the technical people, they don't do anything as well. They've just got a job. The job of a bureaucrat is to keep themselves employed as a bureaucrat. It's a circular thing. All right, I think I'm, how far am I going here? Lifestyle. Um, can, uh, okay, I, I, yeah, I want to say this. Because these, look, these are my sort of thoughts that I've sort of accumulated over a period of time. Some, some people think lifestyle is, you know, you go to, School, you go to university, you become a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, whatever, and then you do that, and then you retire, and then you die and go to heaven. And it, it's kind of a whole continuum. But, but let me tell you, in today's world, that's not happening any longer. And if, you, if, you, if you're up to date with what's happening in terms of digital technology, the fourth industrial revolution, artificial intelligence, you know, what's, what's going on in the world? People are, have to be lifelong learners. 
continually changing, continually updating, going from an architect to a pastor. Okay, you, you know, it, it's, 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 it's not, there's no, you know, this sort of job security and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and we shouldn't think of it as that. But what we should also <clears throat> expect is that the experience we had when we were in our 20s allows us to build in our 30s and 40s. I, so, I, someone sent a thing around recently and they said the most productive people are in their 60s and that's seventh decade. Maybe, maybe not, but I can tell you something. If you're still active and involved in society and in business and church or whatever in your 60s, you have a lot to give because you have so much experience and so much that, 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 that you can share. So it is, a valuable, it is a valuable decade, even though you're old. I admit it myself. Um, <clears throat> but, but you build and you should be building. So it's not these disjointed experiences. I get a bit worried. And actually, this is why when I come back to my experience of having a retail business when I was a doctor, it was disjointed. It was difficult. The only thing that happened was when I then came to Luero and I had to build a hospital, I knew how to put the pieces together. When I started entrepreneurial work and started a clinic in Kampala, I had that business experience. So life was building as far as that was concerned. Now, Take exercise. I'm speaking as a doctor, I'm speaking as a person. Exercise is good for relaxation. I'm looking around and you all look young and fit, okay? But you won't be young and fit all the time. So establish a life. And uh, it's, it's, it's very important. <clears throat> and I'm saying when you, when you want to read, start with something that's easy. If it's a novel, Start with a novel that's an ex exciting novel and read it, but get yourself into the habit of reading and then you gradually improve. Understand the world around you, global trends and what is happening internationally. For me, that's important. We don't live in a bubble. Even if we live in Uganda, it's important to understand this world we live in and the time we're living in. And continually challenge yourself even as you get older. I don't see any old people here, uh, but, but this idea of retirement, I think, is the kiss of death. You can change your project. You can be involved in other things, but if you're retired, what are you doing? I'm retiring, like to bed. I'm waiting to die. As I say, when older people have actually got a lot to give, and I mentioned about not isolating yourself, a balance of work and life and so on. Okay, I think I better wrap up because my time is well up. Um, I'm just, well, very quickly, I'll say um, managing a business. I have a different way of managing businesses than many people. I trust people. And when you say in Uganda you trust people, you're like, well, <laughs> you know, who can you trust in Uganda? People are thieves and all this sort of thing. But if you, if you find the right people and you entrust them and they know you've trusted them, not, not naively, not blindly, but they, they can grow into it. And I have so many young people who are older now who are in very responsible positions and so on, that I gave them their first job. I trusted them in something, what it was, and I challenged them. And they, 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 they weren't all perfect, but they, they grew, and they, they came back to me. Some of those young people, like Pendo, came back to me later and said, thanks, you really helped us in terms of, of, uh, of, of, of believing in us. And building a team where people feel valued is tremendously important. When you're excited, people will be excited with you. It'll be infectious. And I mentioned about being passionate. 
There's one thing, when you stop pushing the cart, by the way, it stops. They, I have a farm manager who describes some of his workers. He says, oh, they're wheelbarrows. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, those people will never take initiative. If I'm not wheeling them alone, they stop. So don't be, don't be a wheelbarrow, <laughs> but be passionate. And another thing is don't try and squeeze a square peg. If you've got somebody who's value, but their value is in technology, they're good at that sort of thing, don't then try and make them something else. Or if their value is with, you know, find out what that person's good at and then use that person in that position. So a few principles. We're, today we ride on the shoulders of those, those who came before us. If you look, whether it's theology, whether it's tech, whether it's in industry, whether it's IT, we live in, you know, we're going up the hockey stick. We live in, a, in, in an amazing age at the present time with all its problems. So why don't we make sure we're part of this and we, we, we leave this place better than we found it for the next generation? It's, it's, it's such a principle. I don't want to... I've gone through life. I said we're marked by the connections we make with people. I wouldn't want to, people are putting me on the ground and they're just like, then I never happened. We want, we want to, we do want to make a mark. We, but we, and we want to make a mark for those who come after us. Think of all what people have given before us. <clears throat> and I'm saying this is maybe a little, well, it'll get you thinking anyway. You need to live your life. It's the only one you'll ever have. You should be selfish and do what is best for you because you're the only person who can live your life. Now, when I say this, that may sound, no, but that's against the Christian teaching and so on. But you need to think about that. Are you trying to live your life through your children? Are you trying to be what people expect you to be? Or are you living your life with that kind of meaningfulness that I've been talking about here? It doesn't mean when you live your life, then you have to destroy other people's lives. Um, you don't live your life, don't live a life that will be destructive to others. Don't live a life that will be hurtful to others. Do no harm. Um, but, but make sure that you are finding meaning for you and you're having a meaningful life. Now, I know that you wanted me to, that was, uh, you know, talking about how to be successful in business. I've given you a few things that are really quite general, but at the same time, I think are important, whether you're in business or, or whatever context that you're in. And, and these are just, I'll say these are principles. I don't want to call them principles, just there's some things that I do practice as far as my life's concerned. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to this teaching. We hope that you've been blessed by the Worship Harvest Sermon Series. For more teachings and other resources, visit www.worshipharvest.org or call 0393-281-555. That is 0393-281-555.